Welcome to Bush Footy Legends, presented by Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. We'll be dusting off the old pigskin and catching up with a few of the people who have made country footy tick in Western Australia. Derek Kickett at his football best was a showman with magic like few others who have ever played the game. But he also rode a roller coaster like few others did. He starred at many clubs and at many levels from Country WA all the way to the grand final in his last of 152 AFL games and he's now doing brilliant things in helping kids who need it most. The great Derek Kickett joins me now for a chat about an extraordinary football life. G'day DK. Steve, how you going mate? Good oh, to hear very, from you. Oh, it's good to hear from you always mate uh, and particularly to be able to relive a few memories of your unbelievable career and I suppose... When you think about all the places that you were, I think uh, seven different VFL, AFL, Waffle and Sandful clubs throughout <laughs> your career, <laughs> you certainly trod a journey, mate. Yeah, no, well, when you, when you love your footy, I suppose, just where, you know, wherever it takes you, 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 you go to those places and play the game. So that was the thing that I, you know, I love I loved the game of footy. It gave me so much, yeah. Do you feel like it gave you a bit more depth too to sort of play in all those different places? I know they were for different reasons over the journey, but... It, you certainly met a lot of different people and played a lot of different places and had a lot of great different experiences. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the things is I got the, got the chance to um, have a look at Australia, you know, living in uh, Adelaide for a while and then Melbourne and then uh, up in Sydney. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience to, to travel in those different states and get a feel for not only for the, um, the football environment but also the, um, the lifestyle. They're all, you know, they're all totally different, the four states. I uh, come from WA originally, so yeah, it was a great experience. And like I said, getting the opportunity to play in the, all, with all those footy clubs, you know, I've got a lot of. As you can know, when you play with a lot of football clubs, you certainly get a, get to meet a lot of different characters and uh, a lot of good mates. So, you know, I still keep in contact with a lot of the football that I played with. Gee, some of those uh, bright lights in those big cities must have been pretty bright for a young lad from uh, from country WA, DK. Yeah, well, when I look at it, um, from where I came from, uh, Tamman is a very small country town, you know, two hours outside of Perth. But, um, you know, I was probably, I had a, I had a good role model, I suppose, when we talk about football, I had a good role model in, in, uh, my first cousin, Larry Kickett, you know, I looked up to him as a role model to me. Um, you know, he was, came from Tamman and he went on to play over 200 odd games with East Perth and played in the Premiership and, you know, I got the chance to play with him at uh, one year, I think, at uh, at Claremont, and uh, you know that was that was great for me to get that opportunity. Yeah. He's an absolute legend, Larry. I, I think to think what him and John Maguire went through in that premiership, as you said, with East Perth and a lot of racism back around in those days, and they just stood up and kept performing and got the job done. You you must be very proud of of Larry's journey and being related to him. Yeah, yes, for for sure. I certainly am. I said. Like I said, he was one of my role models that, um, you know, come from Swalk Country Town and he left to uh, go to Guildford Grammar and played at East Perth and I did the, a similar journey to him. I went to uh, Guildford Grammar, um, but I didn't last there as long as him. I got, <laughs> I got a little bit more homesick than him. I, I missed Tamman a lot and uh, that was it. So, But it was a great experience, you know, to get that opportunity to get away from uh, from Tamman, even though it was, you know, for a year. But I certainly did miss Tamman. Um, but Larry st- he stuck it out, which is really good and he had a really good career and a good, uh, you know, good um, employment opportunity as well, which which got him in the way. And he played in the premiership as well with East Perth. And, you know, and I did the same thing, you know. I barred for Claremont as a young kid, which is not uh, many people know. But, uh, yeah, Claremont was my team that I barred for as a young kid. And then to get the opportunity to play 
in a premiership with them in 1987 was a uh, was one of my highlights of my you know my footy career. Yeah, pretty famous flag, the Claremont one in 1987. I think Larry, I remember when I was a junior down in Manjimup and we were in the East Perth zone and Larry used to come down with big Ronnie Webster and a few of those and do a few coaching clinics. And I just remember he was so good with the kids back then. He, he was just such a beautiful man. And I think that's gone with him all the way to the footy commission and stuff that he's doing here in Western Australia since he's been playing. He, he hasn't changed much. It never affected him much, did it? He's, he's just still a very steady, good footy bloke. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's a very um, easy guy to get along well with. Uh, you know, he's got no, he's got no. I don't think he's got any enemies or anybody bad blood in him. You know, he gets along with everybody and anybody. He loves, a, he loves a chat too. So I think that's the thing that helps him along. <laughs> is he, yeah. he doesn't mind having a bit of a chat. No, he can talk. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, also what we talk. Well, I got you. I just, you know, it's interesting too because where I come from in Tamman, uh, not, not many people know, but. Uh, Tamman is a very small country town, but uh, what it is is it's I don't know. It must be something in the water there, or the family, I think, because um, you know Larry's the first one to leave Tamman to play uh, and finish in a high Korean waffle, and then I left there to play in, a, in the AFL. Then my brother also played at Claremont. Uh, my nephew Dale Kiggett played on at Claremont, and also in the, you know the Dockers and that. And then we also had Byron Pickett, who came from Tamman and uh, played at. Port Port Melbourne, uh, Port Adelaide, and North Melbourne, and then we had young Jared Garlett who went to um, Gold Coast Suns, and then we had a uh, young Mitchell Henry, I think he, uh, Jared Garlett, Mitchell Henry, I think he played, uh, might have played a couple of games in the Waffle, and then we had uh, young Lewis Henry, who also comes from um, yep. Tamman, he played a few games at Claremont there, and then we had another star who's also family comes from that area and Liam Henry is now at the Dockers so I don't know how many players is there but that's about eight, 9 or 10 I think from a small country town we've done well there it's unbelievable. I know that's we talk about the Northampton story, and there's a few young boys getting through from Halls Creek, even now up north. But that's a pretty fair record for a town of uh, Tamman size, isn't it? And, and I imagine the town's pretty proud yeah. of that too. Yeah, we you know certainly are, you know, especially the Aboriginal community. You know where we like I said where we come from. But in those days, I remember when uh, the local footy, uh, Tamman's local football. You know, most of the I remember as a, as a young kid. You know, my father was uh, was my role model and, and an idol. You know, he played. I think he was about six foot two, and he played full four. And he was, uh, you know, the not only in Tamil but also the Avon Association. He was the leading goal kicker in the association. Uh, but alongside him, he had all his brothers and all his cousins. And so, in the reserves and the, the league side, they uh, most of the families are all related along the lines of the Kicket Kicket family. So it was a, it was. A, I remember the young kid, like I said, as a young kid, just going to watch that um, the football game was all our. All our family, all our mob, you could say. That was, it, was, it was a great highlight um, watching on the weekend. The Aboriginal people, it's a, it's a hard thing to explain, isn't it, about that homesickness that you talk about. I've, I've been up to Nookumbar Station and talked to Zephy Skinner and a few others, Relton Roberts we've seen, uh, Liam, the Liam Jarras and all those yeah. sorts of players that have gone through the system over the years. Alroy Gilligan from up north as well. Can you explain a little bit, Derek, about how hard that is? Because it's difficult to describe, isn't it? And it's di- also difficult for the system to understand how to put the support network around the Aboriginal players who are trying to assimilate to a lifestyle that is totally foreign to them. And yeah. I, I know you've been down that track yourself, haven't you? Yeah, well, you know, part of my role is, uh, you know, I've been doing all my um, footy career, throughout my footy career, and even after I retired, I was uh, doing a lot of mentoring with young Aboriginal footballers and um, worked in the 
you know, the juvenile justice system in the, uh, with the, with the uh, youth in prison and also the adults in prison, the Aboriginal prisoners. Um, but also mentoring, like I said, and uh, develop my own mentoring program uh, for young Aboriginal footballers. But when you talk about uh, the Kimberley or the um, the Kimberley or the uh, Pilbara up north of WA, it's totally different um, place up there. And you know, for them to leave that area and then come all the way down to Perth is um, is a big, big step. So and then get, going from Perth to to uh, to Melbourne, well, that's even that's even even a lot lot more worse. And you know, it's a burden on for them to leave that you know, small country town. But uh, you know, it is a big challenge, and uh, I don't think the football clubs really understand how much um, that they do miss their family and do uh, miss their lifestyle um, more so um, coming from those areas to go to Perth. Yeah, well, I think you can't you take can, look at you can't way, take. You can't take Nook and yeah. Bar Station to the uh, to the Western Bulldogs, can you? Like Zeffy Skinner, and I know that yeah. he was he was quite heartbroken. I spoke to him at length when I went up and saw him about it, and he sort of half of him was torn, thinking he should have still been in the footy system, but the other half he just couldn't get low, let go of his home, and it's a it's a real dilemma, isn't yeah. it? I, I'm not sure that's an easy fix for any AFL club, really. Well, there is an easy fix. Um, the simple thing is you put an, an ex uh, Aboriginal uh, AFL footballer that's played the game, been in the system. And understands and knows the system. You put them in the club yeah. and let them develop as a development coach, but also as a as a, an Aboriginal uh, mentor, assistant coach to look after those Aboriginal footballers that they're recruiting. Uh, it's a pretty I, simple answer. It's, in, it's not rocket science. Well, I think the AFL's talked a good game there. I think there's still only West Coast Eagles. Phil Narkel is the only full time Indigenous liaison officer in the AFL. I might be corrected on that, but. I think they've probably done it the best. I know that uh, Fremantle have certainly started putting Michael Johnson and a few others. Uh, Roger Hayden to try and teach the culture to the kids when they come in, but yeah, it's a it's a tough yeah. one. But the support network of those who know and those who've lived it is absolutely vital, isn't it? Yeah, it, it sure is. Um, and those you know the Aboriginal players we can uh, can feel freely talking to those Aboriginal players because they know uh, what they've been through and they understand what they've been through and they understand the the funeral side to things, the sorry business. They understand the um, the family kinship connection, how big we our family kin- kinship connection is yeah um, so there's a lot of yeah and then, you know the financial side of things and so you know the Aboriginal people can understand how that how they operate I think it's a bit sad that the AFL system hasn't quite got it right yet from the top end because uh, uh, there could be a lot more magic in the game couldn't there I mean we all love watching the Aboriginal players play in the competition because they've just got that special bit of magic and they're a bit like yourself and and I think the day they actually get it right the competition will be better for it yeah, for sure. I, I think I had this argument with uh, Mick Moldas a couple of years ago that you know he wanted to um, change the, the or look at uh, doing like the the um, the EPL, the soccer over in England, where we you know we we um, have a, a two two tier. I think it's a two club competition in the AFL because uh, he reckoned that there wasn't enough um, talent in in our in Australia, and I think, well, you haven't been, obviously haven't been to WA and looked up in the country towns of WA because <laughs> we've got truckloads of Aboriginal footballers that can play the game. Well, I'll tell you, you know, what, you had to look at uh, Sydney Stack and Marlon Pickett and the rest of these guys. Yeah, what great stories they are, and, uh, you know, Marlon's one of the great stories that we've ever seen, but, uh, gee, having an argument with Mick Malthouse, Derek, you wouldn't be alone there. Yeah, well, you know, I, I know from experience, I've been, the, seen, I've seen these Aboriginal talents, you know, from 13 years of age, 14 years of age, and you know, I've watched 
uh, Chris Lewis as a young age playing mm. football. I've watched uh, Jack Martin playing when he was 13 years of age, and uh, he destroyed the uh, you know a, a grand final when he was 13 years of age. So he was kicking left and right. I remember, and you know uh, Dave Weirapunda also 13 years of age, kicking about 20 odd games in a, in a you know under 14 game. So. Uh, yeah, when when you, when I know is Aboriginal talent. You know, the thing is too, there's a lot of Aboriginal talents that know each other. I know somebody that knows somebody along the different areas of football, and then I get, you know, they so they now and then I'll get a phone call from somebody and say, oh, you got to come up to, to town, you know, come to one of these towns here. I'll come up to Geraldton or Northampton or Wapilba and watch these kids. I'll come down to Albany and watch these young Aboriginal boys play football. Yeah. And that's what I do. I go out and check out the guys, and you know, you see them at a young age, you know, that they've got the talent to go further. Yeah, well, you see them play in those big games on some of the gravel tracks out there at the remote communities and those sorts of things, and they're unbelievable. I've been lucky enough to go and see some of them. For every Zephaniah Skinner, there's about another 20 out there somewhere, so it's uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Let's let's go right back, DK, uh, back to Tamman, as you say, in the little country town the, in WA. You, you used to watch the winners with your old man on the weekend, and that pretty much grew your passion and yeah. love for footy, didn't it, back in those days? Yeah, for sure. I was always glued to the seat uh, watching the winners in those days. And um, I think the old man, I think at the time when we started watching it, he was a Essen supporter and I was a Carlton supporter. So I don't know how that worked out. But <laughs> Not very well. To, to Claremont. <laughs> yeah, he, he convinced me to barrack for Claremont, but uh, somehow I stuck with Carlton and um, he, he stuck with Essen. Yeah, so it was, it was a highlight of our... Certainly on the um, on the Sunday, I think it was a Sunday nights. The uh, the winners were glued to our seat for you know for an hour or so. And was there sort of a, a mob would go out and have a kick, DK? Like, what was it like as a kid playing in the streets of Tamman? Yeah, well, you're talking about the hard grounds up in the Pilbara. Well, I remember when I was in primary school after school finished, uh, we had about 20, 20 of us Aboriginal guys, all my cousins, and we'd have a little uh, little footy footy um, goals at up each end about 50, 50 metres apart and uh, there'd be 20 of us all on the footy field on that little hard rock ground and we certainly knew how to keep our feet that's I think that's where we learnt our um, our balancing to keep our feet was because as soon as you get knocked onto the ground get tackled and hit that ground that, that rock hard ground your knees and elbows and everything get skinned up and so we certainly learned pretty quickly to uh, stay on our feet and hold our balance and watch you know, with our peripheral vision, we've certainly seen the guys that coming in for the tackle or coming in for the bumps. And so it's, that's at a young age. We used to do it just about every night and during primary school. It's interesting to see what, what comes second nature out of that sort of stuff, isn't it? Because you don't want your knees scraped. You don't want to be getting cleaned up. So you, you certainly learn it yeah. pretty quickly, don't you? Yeah, well, that's what we did. Uh, you know, we we had not much to do in the, in the country towns, and that's what we did. Every afternoon after school, we just about played footy. It was about 20, like I said, 20 or 30 of us playing in a small footy field on a rock-hard ground. And I imagine uh, growing up in that group and that talent around you amongst your family and friends, uh, you you would have had to have been pretty good to get a kick anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, certainly. uh, Well, that's the thing about when we... When we play against our brothers, especially uh, you know Aboriginal football carnals, we all want to be the be the star of the um, of the of the carnal. So we always like to you know be our brothers and put on a showcase. Yeah. Where did you learn your tricks, DK? Did you, was that where you, where you first started to practice them? And was that something you did? You because you yeah. had some extraordinary tricks that some other players could never hope to do. Is that is that where you started practicing them? And what did, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that's where I learned all my tricks is um, playing on the um, the. Rock hard grounds, so like I said, every home time we used to 
play that play those games and on a regular basis, and then you carry it into a football game, playing junior football. Um, yeah, so it was certainly uh, it certainly was something that I learned at a young age. You must have snapped a few from the from the boundary in your little practice times and that as well, I reckon. Yeah, we never used to we never used to sit, you know, as a normal stand in the front or stand twenty thirty meters straight in front of the goals. We'd always be on those angles and having shots of goals from the angles. You said you had doubts. I've I've heard you say it before, and and to me as well, DK, that that you'd ever make it to the top. When when did you first start to believe? And and was there someone that helped you with that to say, right, mate, you've got this talent. We need to start exploring it a bit more. Was it was it you? Was it someone else that helped you? Was it a combination of the two? I, I think it was more or less. I knew I, had, I put it so I knew I had the talent, um, but I knew that I had to work hard on my fitness. Yeah. And so I think it was the day came when uh, nineteen eighty seven when Jared Neeson was the coach, and I we had, I remember we had um, a train session at Beattie Park and it was, you know, being a water polo, <laughs> a black fella coming from the Tamman, so I didn't, I didn't know much about swimming in the swimming pool. So anyway, we had to do a training session at uh, Beattie Park. And so we did that session. And then after the training session finished, I said, to, I pulled Jared aside. I said, Jared, can I have a chat to you? And I said, look, you know, um, I'm sick of playing in the forward line. I said, uh, you know, I've played in my junior days. I used to play a lot in the centre. And he, and he said to me, okay, well, if you're not playing this, you just have a really good pre-season training and we'll um, see how you go. And so that's when I really worked my backside. I got really fit. And you know, and also during that year in 87, I, um, I started working the scaffolds, uh, mm. in the scaffolding business. Yep. So, I was, you know, I was carting about four or five tons of um, uh, equipment a day and then going to footy training in the mornings or footy training in the afternoon. So I got myself really fit and... That's when Jared decided to put me in the centre, and then you know the rest is history. You know, we played, I played in the Premiership and played, had a really good season that year in 1987. Yeah, and what a history it's been since then. And uh, I know that you grew up idolising some other Aboriginal stars like Stephen Michael, the great man, uh, and the Cracker Brothers, Jimmy and Phil down there from Mount Barker. Was it important to you to have those sort of role models to try and not not so much emulate, but sort of get to a level like they were? Yeah, like, you know, I think uh, Stephen Michael, he's, I think he was the idol of all the Aboriginal people, most of the Aboriginal people, even if they didn't bury for South Mount. Yeah. Like I said, I was a Clements supporter, but I certainly buried for Stephen Michael, you know, just the way he played his game and the way he uh, dominated the game. And then, you know, when the Cracker Boys were playing at Clement, I mean, they were just unbelievable the way they played. And they, they carried that on, that, that style of football to the to North Melbourne VFL and a lot of the people, even the um, commentators at that time in the VFL, they couldn't believe how talented we, these two Noongar boys came from WA. They were so talented and so skillful and dominated the games and just be able to read each style of um, play or when the, you know, the next handball was coming or where it was coming or the kick was coming. He's a broadcasting legend now, Dennis Cometti, but he was your first league coach at West Perth. Can you talk about the trust that you two build and how important it was for him as a mentor on and off the field for you? Yeah, he he was a really good mentor. He um, he knew that I had the skills, and the one thing that he that I that stuck in my mind was that I knew that he I could see, and the way he talked to me, that he believed in in what I could do and what I can achieve, and that's he gave me the confidence to go out there and play my natural game. And then you know the following year he uh, he left, and that sort of set me really back because then the next coach that came along. Uh, 
I found out that he, he was a, that coach then throughout that, throughout that year, the following year, said that I couldn't play. That he, he reckoned that I didn't didn't have the talent to uh, go on. So that was sort of a kick in the guts. But I still stuck in in memory of what um, Dennis gave me the opportunity and said, you know, he, he believed in me. So that sort of stuck right through from Cremona and throughout my VFL AFL career. So it wasn't so much difficult to leave West Perth then, because I knew that had happened and uh, in the period after Dennis left, but. You obviously trusted yourself in that ability and just needed to find that new home to, to let it free a bit? Yeah, well, you know, when I left uh, West Perth, I got onto you know, the bigger and better things. I played, like I said, uh, played a more free, freely game with um, Jared Neeson as a coach in 87. And, you know, we won a premiership, but I think we only lost one or two games uh, throughout the year. Well, you played 12 games for North Melbourne in 1989 after being taken with pick number 60 in the 1988 National Draft, but it only lasted a season with the Roos. Did you wonder again whether that was going to be it for you at that level? <laughs> no, not really, because uh, I, I had a bit of a I had a bit of an issue with um, with the coach. Because to be honest, where I think in North Melbourne, there I played 12 games in my first year. Uh, but out of those 12 games, I really spent probably half the games on the bench and the other half playing football. And then I think mm-hmm. it was towards about three games before the season finished or you know, my um, my last game, the 12th game, I said to the coach, I said, look, you know, I said, I'm 26 years of age. I said, I'm mature. I said, I'm not a little kid. Uh, I think the coach at the time was John Kennedy. And so I said to him, look, I'm not a little kid. I said, you recruited me over here. For a reason, I said, I've got the talent, I've got the experience. I said, I'm 26 years of age. I said, most of my career, I've played footy at my best when I'm playing in the centre. I said, so, you know, I said, when we play this week, I said, can you give me an opportunity to play in the centre and and show, and show you what I can do? And he goes, okay, well, I'll play in the centre against, um, I think it was against Essen at Windy Hill. And so that was a day when I um, played well uh, for North Melbourne against Essen at Windy Hill. And, I, and as you know, the... Um, at the end of that year, uh, I signed a three-year. At the start of that three um, period with North Melbourne, I signed a three-year contract. <laughs> so yes, and they like what um, they saw, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and then I signed a three-year contract, and then at the end of the uh, my first year, they said to have to take a pay cut, and I said, "Well, no, it doesn't work like that." I said, "I signed a three-year contract, and I'm going to stick by the contract." And so they said, "Well, we haven't got any money." So I said, "Okay, well, I want to go to another club," hmm. and I said, "I'm not going to take no pay cut," and I was on peanuts anyway, so. Um, so they just said, okay, well, we have to let you go. And I said, yeah, no worries. And then Essen, well, the sort of game I played against Essen was really good. They decided to um, pick me up from there. Hmm. And and obviously, we'll, we'll talk but, a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but that's how I left North Melbourne to go to Essen. <laughs> we'll obviously talk a little bit about 93 in a minute, Derek. But did you enjoy your time at Essendon generically? I don't, don't get to hear you talk much about the time that you had. Everyone always talks about that end. But did you actually enjoy your time there? Until then, oh, yeah, I had some really, good, yeah, yeah. No, Essendon was a really good footy club. You know, I got on well with a lot of the, you know, with a lot of the guys, and you know, uh, Longie, Longie and myself were really good close. We got on really well with the guys, and we helped you know, Wayne Ganine and a few of the other, you know, Willie Dick, hmm. um, uh, or Rusty Williams, Russell Williams. Yep. Uh, well, it's quite a, it's quite a few Aboriginal guys that came into that. Just club. a bit of talent in those players when, you just uh, mentioned too. <laughs> Yeah, when myself and Michael Long came, you know, were there, we sort of helped a lot of our Aboriginal guys and we uh, we educated Sheeds, you know, on the Aboriginal guys and the, the talent of the Aboriginal players, but also the homesickness and the, the funerals and all that. So we educated uh, 
uh, Kevin Sheehy about those about those issues that were a lot of the Aboriginal um, footballers face or the Aboriginal people just in general. Obviously, you've spoken a lot of times over the years about being left out of that Essendon 1993 Premiership team after playing those 23 games that year, including the three lead-up finals. You appeared to bury the hatchet with with Sheeds a couple of years back in 2018. Uh, were you satisfied with that outcome, and, and, and do you get along now? Well, you, you know, well, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. I was, well, I'm disappointed, sort of. I mean, the thing, the thing leading up to that game was in '93 when I played every game in Mr. Grand Final. '92, uh, not many people know that I played every game in '92 as well. Yep. And then I played every game in '93 in the Mr. Grand Final. But what a lot of people don't realise is that. Um, you know, three weeks before the finals, I think it was, or a week, a couple of weeks before the finals, I um, had a meeting with Sheeds and I just got a bit frustrated with being dragged all the time, you know, and lost a bit of confidence in me concentrating on playing footy because I was too busy worried about the runner coming out and yeah. taking me off because I didn't get a touch of the footy. So that was playing on my mind a lot more than worried about getting the kick. And then I spoke to him about it and I said, you know, I need to just leave me... Just let me go and let me have a have a have a you know play the natural game, and I don't think he liked the uh, the way that I spoke to him about it, and so I think, and so that's the real reason why. And he's not going to admit it, you know, because he's the coach, and at the end of the day, the coach is never wrong; they're always right. So, but at the end of the day, I think that's what he didn't he didn't really like uh, an Aboriginal person, a strong black man, getting into me about his coaching philosophy and how to coach a, a person the way he should be coached and so yep. he didn't like the way that I spoke to him and so that was the reason why he dropped me but um, he's not going to admit that and so we had a discussion about it and we had a talk about it and I gave him the full facts about it and he didn't like it um, me telling the truth and at the end of the day he just said well that's not my that's not why I dropped you Derek I dropped you because you just didn't um, you're losing you know you were uh, not playing good footy and I said well the reason why I wasn't playing good footy is because I was too busy worried about the uh, runner coming out yeah. and he denied it all the time so but anyway I just said well look you know we're not gonna I said we can be sitting here arguing all day all night about it I said but at the end of the day you're the coach and the coach is never wrong so let's get up and shake hands and that was it yeah I think that's a pretty mature way to end it that's for sure did he yeah. just one more on it did he tell you why he actually didn't tell you of the decision himself that day because it's usually the coach who would tell you did he tell you why he well, didn't yeah well, that's another thing yeah that's another thing why I, I mentioned him as well you know I wasn't happy that he didn't have the guts to tell me and, yeah. uh, but he reckons that uh, I think it was Danny Corkin I rang Danny Corkin because I had a feeling this is a thing in that meeting the Thursday night before the grand final he uh this is coming from Sheedy's mouth at the, uh, in the meeting on Thursday night before the grand final. He goes, now, guys, don't be disappointed if some of you guys miss out. And when he said that, he looked straight at me. Mm. And so I clicked in the back of my mind. I said, oh, I drove home. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound right. And I went home. I was telling my wife. And I said, you know, something doesn't sound right. She goes, well, you better ring Danny Corcoran. I rang Danny Corcoran. And I said, Danny, you know what? I said, am I in the team? And he goes, no, you're not. I mm. said, why? He goes, well, I don't really know. I said, you have to uh, speak to Kevin Sheehy. I said, no. I said, you tell Kevin Sheehy to ring me. And he never rang me. Never did. Derek, that must have been yeah. a... I mean, obviously... Now, why, so why would... Yeah, so the reason why... And probably people would say, well, you know, 
when you look at it, I've played over four, 300-odd games. I've played at uh, six other different clubs or whatever. I've played not every every Thursday night when the team gets selected. Not once have I ever rang the club up to say, am I picked for the game this weekend? Mm. It was only that one time in my 17, 20 years of playing footy, I rang the, rang the club up just that once on a Thursday night to say, am I in the team? Because I knew from that meeting, when Kevin Sheehy said to me, he goes, don't be disappointed if some of you guys will not play. And that grand final, he looked straight at me when he said it. I, I clearly, DK, when, when you were told of the decision, it would have been bloody hard. Did you did you need the support of your family that night when you first got told? And, and how did you actually deal with it immediately? Yeah, it was hard. I, I just stayed home with the family. Cause I had a young family at the time. I stayed home yeah. with the wife and family. And then the next day... Next, uh, well, the Saturday of the grand final, I just drove, drove, got my kids and just went for a drive down out in the bush and got away from the from the footy. And I know that next year you're at Sydney and your first two games you've kicked seven goals and the real DK's back and you're on fire. You, you look like you were playing with a bit of a bee in your bonnet there. Yeah, well, it was a good thing about it was that um, I, uh, I, was, I had signed a contract uh, to play for Tatura and um, what happened was uh, it was a practice game I think it was on a June February somewhere around February we were playing a night game in Tatura and my wife and I just sort of to drive up for the uh, for the uh, weekend and, watch the, and play the game so we so I'm at the game and I'm halfway through the uh, third quarter on uh, you know we're dominating the game and I'm playing good footy and, and all of a sudden we're I'm sitting in the um, standing in the middle of the square, and the ball's up the other end of the ground. I'm standing in the middle of the square, and thinking to myself, "What the f and the hell am I doing here?" Yeah. And yeah. I thought, "I don't belong here," you know. And I was thinking, "I've still got something to give to the AFL." And so I jumped in my car after the game. I jumped in my car with my wife, and we drove for two hours all the way back to Melbourne. And I didn't say anything to her, and she. She realised something was wrong, and so I didn't speak to her for the whole trip. <laughs> and we got home, and I think uh, during the week, the next week, I um, I uh, I think it was a phone call from. Uh, oh, no, it was actually my wife. She rang Kevin Egan, and Kevin Egan was the football manager of Sydney Swans Footy Club. Yep, yep. At the time, I was at Essen. He was the football manager of Essen Footy Club, and the football manager of Essen Football Club. So then he went to Sydney, and so during that week, my wife actually rang Kevin Egan and and, and uh, said to him, he "Goes look, there's any chance you can um, you know, have a chat to Derek and see if you can get him up there to Sydney." And Kevin Egan said, "Do you know what, Denise? We were just uh, having a chat and talking to you about Derek uh, last night, and so they were thinking about the same thing about getting me up there." And then so they rang me, and then I went up there, and that's how it happened. I got to Sydney Swans. Well, we and I think, like when we look back now, all of us footy lovers, Derek, we 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 all love seeing you play. And your last ever AFL game in an AFL grand final, I think everyone sort of felt the feel good nature of that story. And you didn't your yeah. spot, and you got there. That must must be some memory for you to actually have got that opportunity finally three years later after after such disappointment. You must you'll remember that for the rest of your life, I bet. Yeah, well, I, I, it was sort of it. It is you know when I, when I look at it now, it's you know, coming coming from a small country town like Tamman and being an Aboriginal boy, leaving Tamman to go to Perth and then going to Melbourne, playing in Sydney, and you know, get to play in 
two AFL grand finals, even though I lost to both grand finals, um, get to play in the finals. You know, I look at it now. Not many people, you know, some of the guys have played AFL, VFL, they've played 200 games or, you know, played 150-odd games or whatever. They've never played in the final, let alone a grand final. Yeah. So I look at it that way. That, you know, I've, I've, something, I've done something that I've, um, not many guys have done. So I was happy with, you know, playing in two losing grand finals, playing in the finals. Um, and that was it. Yeah, well, certainly giving you more uh, something to look up to too, and I think that's really important. I want to go back quickly to that 1987 season, DK, after you moved from West Perth to Claremont, and you played in that great premiership under Jared Neesham. He said it was one of the greatest individual seasons he'd ever seen in the history of the Waffle. Did you uh, feel that way yourself? Was it was it your best year of footy? Yeah, I felt like I said, I felt really strong and and uh, fit. Um, you know, that was to do with the scaffolding and the, uh, the the fitness that I put in, and, and I suppose the um, the belief, you know, in the end that uh, a coach gave me that opportunity from me speaking to him at the Beatty Park, him giving me that opportunity to prove myself in the fitness field and putting in a good pre-season and uh, letting me play uh, freely on the footy field and playing with instinct. Um, you know, like I said, I had a really good uh, good good year that 1987. And that was probably one of my highlights of my footy career for sure. Well, you polled 16 more votes in the Sandover medal than any other player that year, but you're ineligible because you slapped Tim Jepp. Now, look, I mean, to be honest, well, Jepp, I don't know. Well, Jeppy's got a face you'd like to slap. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. But uh, did you slap him very hard? Yeah. I didn't even touch him. He's a oh. bloody wuss. <laughs> yeah, he, won't admit it. he wouldn't even admit it in the tribunal. That's how gutless he was. Didn't he really? Wow. I was disappointed, though. Yeah, you know, like if I'm going to own up to something to hit him, I would I would tell you that I would hit him, but I've never even touched him. And uh, the umpire just got it wrong. They gave me three weeks, and that was it. So, but he's he's going to deny it. And you know, if you had the cameras like they have now in the AFL and the and the angles and everything, they had, if they had in those days in 1987, they would see that I've never even touched him. I think I heard you say once you were just shooting flies, weren't you? Yeah, well, that's it. I was shooting flies from him. <laughs> <laughs> just looking after him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't. I don't think anyone will ever forget how well you played that year, and you got well, the old. He's, he's too scared. He's still. He's, he's scared to see me. Every every time he sees me, he runs away. He doesn't give me a chance to have a t- chat to him. That's bizarre. I can't believe that happened. But no. at least uh, I'm glad you got that premiership because that uh, was the just reward for a great season. I remember DK being a runner for the Southwest when you were playing in the Landmark Carnival for Avon, and you came yeah. out, and our bloke thought, "Yeah, he's Derek Kickett." And I think in the first couple of minutes, you got the ball on the wing and you put it, put through one of the best torpedoes I've ever seen from about 65 metres. And I know all our boys just went, whoa. You must have you must have loved those days back playing with a bunch of country blokes for Avon. Yeah, well, country footy, you can't beat country footy. It's, it's you know, it's the lifeline of the, of the community. So, you know, to, to, to get that opportunity when I retired um, in 96 in the AFL and to go back home and uh, play in the premiership with my um, my hometown Tamman, it, it did end up in the end amalgamated with uh, Kilburn Town just up the road. Um, they, I think it was the first time, first year they amalgamated in 1998. Yep, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I played in the premiership with, with that with that team. So I played junior footy with Kilburn as well. So you know, to get the opportunity to play in the premiership from my hometown was uh, another highlight of my footy career. And then to represent the you know the Avon Association in the West Sunders Championship was a highlight as well, and to you know to win that championship with all your mates that you play some traditional football with, and 
you know, I remember those guys, you know, like the Fanco boy from uh, Brooklyn and uh, the Beverly Mark, or uh, I think it was Mark Edwards from uh, Beverly, or yeah, the Fanco's from Brooklyn and, and Beverly, uh, Edwards from uh, Beverly. They were, you know, they were tough, hard footballers. I don't think we enjoyed you playing too much that that day, particularly DK. Yeah, that was a highlight. You know, you, you, you're playing against the best country footballers in in the state of WA, and you know, yep. representing playing against Great Northern and you know, up a Great Southern would really it was a really good challenge. And you know, uh, to play playing those in that you know those carnals and play, you know, I think I was thirty odd years of age. So to still um, you know, have that skill and to have that opportunity to play against you know, younger guys, you still want to. You know, be challenged by those young guys and proving that you still can uh, play footy at that best level. And then after everything you went through, Derek, you were quite rightly inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame in 2018, and I think it was probably the last function at Subiaco Oval before it was all knocked over. What, what did that night mean to you to, well, to get that honour? Yeah, again, you know, it's all Nongar boy come from town. It's um, it's a highlight to be to be in that Hall of Fame, you know, along with um, Stephen Michael and the Napa brothers and my good cousin brother in uh, Nicky Winmar. Yeah, it was an amazing night. I, I loved it. I, I thought it was sensational. All those blokes were there that night too, I think. And I think Keith Narkle might have been inducted on the same night as you, so that was pretty special too. And I, yeah, I remember yeah, it was, yeah. I, I once wrote a story on the Pingerley Tigers and, and their extraordinary number of star footballers whose family bloodlines sort of trailed back in that team, and I know we talked earlier, you're closely related to players like Nicky Winmar, Byron Pickett, uh, obviously Larry and Dale Kickett, Buddy Franklin even. Uh, how, do, how do you describe yeah. it? What, what does it mean to you, the impact of the Aboriginal players and particularly the Noongar players from the WA Southwest that, and, and, and the impact they've had on our national game? Yeah, it's, uh, well, well, this is a good stats here for you. Um, in the uh, Noongar country or Noongar uh, Nation, we have you know we have fourteen different clan groups. Um, so when you tie it down to the different clan groups, uh, where I come from, Tamman and York, and that we're the uh, Baladon clan. So, and when you look at the, all those different clan groups from the Noongar Nation, you'll know that the Baladon clan is the highest number of Aboriginal footballers that have come out of that clan mm. to go on to play AFL football. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't. I'm not surprised by it. I must say, because I know the region. But yeah, that's a, that, what a great, proud stat that is for your people, eh? Yeah, it is. So we've got, we've got a high number of Gullarong people. You know, like uh, like I said, uh, you mentioned Buddy Franklin, Jeffrey Garlett, Leon Davis, uh, Dale Kiggett, myself. Um, who else? Uh, I think um, Michael Johnson's from Curling. Uh, mm. He's from he's family's from that area. So, yeah, we have a high, high number of um, Dalalong people, but also, you know, just in general, the Noongar, the Noongar Nation is, uh, is very, it's got the highest number of, of Aboriginal footballers when you look at it by state by state. Um, you know, from NT, we have more, uh, from coming from WA, we have more Aboriginal footballers from WA than uh, NT or Victoria or South Australia. Yeah, well, Kevin Sheedy is widely quoted saying it's the greatest story in Australian rules football ever, the, the Noongar Nation story, and I, I tend to agree with him. You, you're back living in Melbourne now, DK, and, and working in juvenile justice. Uh, what exactly are you doing, and, and how important do you see the work? Yeah, I've, I've been doing, uh, well, just, I've been working with justice systems for probably off and on for about 12, 15 years, and you know, I'm very passionate about trying to educate and help our, rehabilitate our young Aboriginal men that are in the, in the prison system through, you know, systemic racism. Um, you know, especially the uh, young guys that started off as a youth worker working in the prisons 
and then um, getting to the adult prison as well. So I'm currently working in the adult prisons over here in Melbourne and working with Aboriginal prisoners and, again, trying to educate them and um, rehabilitate them about, you know, about the, about the opportunities that, that uh, need to be given to these young men that are suffering through systemic racism but intergenerational trauma and, and generational um, institutionalised point in the prison system. Uh, these are young men, you know, so there's a lot going on in their mind. Um, and it doesn't help when you've got a, you know, you've got a very racist, to me, I believe that's a very racist country when it comes to having your um, young men being in prison, but also the having your uh, females being in prison as well. Yeah, definitely. What, what's, in your work, Derek, what's your main message to them on the on the flip side of that to actually tell them that they are worthy and, and they do have a good life ahead of them? How, how do you actually give that message across to them? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because, you know, unfortunately, some of our Aboriginal men, there's not many, there's not really good support on the outside. Um, well, there is sort of good support on the outside, but some of these young Aboriginal men don't take advantage of using that yeah. um, support. Yeah. Um, if, they've, if they've been triggered by some little mistake, whether it's, uh, you know, going to the pub or getting pulled over by the cops, you know, for whatever reason, then that triggers them into doing something stupid or and that sets them back into getting into the prison system. So, you know, for these young men, it's 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 very hard to get the community, um, but also getting accepted back into their, into their community. If they're not getting accepted back into the community, then it makes them really hard to get accepted into the, into the wider community if they're not getting accepted by the Aboriginal community. Well, DK, I always love talking to you about footy and life in general because you're a brilliant and inspiring man to all of us. And I think the way that you've always spoke spoken out at the times when you felt like you should have to trust your own beliefs and, and do what you think is right, I think is a, a great message for all of us. So we congratulate you on an extraordinary contribution to our great game and the work that you're still doing to help your people uh, go forward in life. Uh, really enjoyed the chat, mate, as always. No worries. Thanks very much, mate. And I uh, hope our, our next Tamman uh, guy there, young Liam Henry, I hope he goes well with the Dockers this year. Well, he looks a million bucks at the moment, mate, so uh, I think there's every chance. Go well, mate. Uh, no worries. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks for listening. Please share the podcast or tell a friend about it. And for tips on how to check in on a mate, search Think Mental Health WA.